The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but is a passive investor with no day-to-day -day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership. The limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up? The Limited Partner is more than just a podcast. It's a community to learn, to participate, to connect. There's no other community out there like this for Limited Partners. So subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. Welcome to the podcast with your host, Jake Wiley. Welcome, partners. This is your host, Jake Wiley. This week, I'm joined with Andy Alsop from The Receptionist. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here, Jake. And Andy, you've got a really interesting background, and I can't wait to kind of dive into it a little bit with for my audience here. But tell me about your overall journey, how you got to where you are today in, in The Receptionist. Well, you know, I'm, I am a, what am I now, a 28-year entrepreneur. So I've been doing this for a while. My journey of entrepreneurship started back in when I was 19 years old. I started a restaurant, dropped out of college, started a bar with my buddies, turned into a restaurant, total failure, probably one of my best pieces of education. I moved west to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and for about 22 years was working on different startups. I had started my own. I had been a part of a startups. I had always been doing something in entrepreneurship. Never really worked for a big company, almost always worked for just entrepreneurial pursuits. And I went through three or four or five different startups, had some success, had some real flame outs. And then after several years, I had been working with a company called UC Charting Solutions. And the CEO of that company, who is an awesome guy, brought us all around the conference room table and he said, you know what? I've run out of money. Can't do this one anymore. And I said, I'm going to shut it down. And I thought to myself, am I going to keep trying to do this in New Mexico and try to start the next one. I have the benefit of the fact that my wife is from Denver and her mother, my mother-in-law, lives there. And I said to my wife, you know what? I want to go and bring my entrepreneurial life to Colorado. So I worked with my mother-in-law. I said, hey, can I just like sleep in your basement in Cherry Creek in Denver, Colorado? and kind of get to know the entrepreneurial environment. So as a result of that, I got into the kind of Denver community and I started networking with one CEO and went met with another one. And just there was so much going on in Denver that it kind of changed my perspective. And I said, this is where I want my entrepreneurial life to be. So it was really that whole journey. And there's, there's another part to the journey, which is that I am uh, one of six kids. I am the youngest of six kids. And two of my brothers, my eldest, uh, oldest brother, and then uh, my third oldest brother, both are extremely successful. One had taken a company public on the NASDAQ. It's a company called Progress Software, well-known company, three, $4 billion market cap. And he had taken it public. He went from the very first day where I actually went into a dentist office in Massachusetts where he had opened it up. And I was, as a kid, sitting there in his office and then I watched it grow all the way to being taking it publicly and then going into his offices after as a publicly traded company and thousands of employees and stuff. And then my other brother is Stuart Alsop, who is a well-known venture capitalist, worked with New Enterprise Associates and then went on to start Alsop Louis Partners, another well-known uh, venture capital firm. And he's been a part of a lot of different startups 
startups that have done really well. So that's kind of my background. I've been the entrepreneurial route, but also had a lot of sort of entrepreneurial siblings. So I, we all joke, actually, every all six of us work for ourselves. None of us work for a company or anything. So it's, it, we're kind of an entrepreneurial family. So that's kind of how, what took me to where I am now. That's a really cool story. So maybe we need to add, like, what did your parents do when you guys were growing up that, that sparked that? Because that's not typical. It's true. My dad was a well-known journalist. Because I'm the youngest, and there's actually a differential of 22 years between myself and my oldest brother. Same parents. They called me my, their uh, do-it-yourself grandchild. That's what the, my parents called me. And so that was a interesting experience. I had all these older siblings. I mean, my oldest brother, the one who took who had Progress Software, he was 22 when I was born. You know, so he was into his first career when I was born. I, again, entrepreneurially, my father was a journalist, and with my dad back in you know 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, sorry, I said with my dad, I met with my uncle. They both had a column together, syndicated across the United States. And he was a well-known journalist, as was my uncle. And so, again, he was sort of working on his own and also sort of entrepreneurial as well. He did work for Newsweek. He had the back page of Newsweek, which is a weekly um, space way back in the day when people actually read, you know, real magazines and things like that. And so I think that's really what spurred all of us to kind of be out there on our own. And he very much was like, I don't want to work for a company. And he, I think he kind of, he gave that to us. That was really what ended up happening with our background. I think we saw our father there as a journalist kind of doing what he wanted to do. That's a really cool story. I mean, across the board, right? The whole family, but where it came from. Yeah, definitely. I'm proud of our family. We have a great family. So tell me, I guess, what, what gets you excited today? What's driving your passion? I go to Denver, right? And I, I do all these really cool things. One, I did this thing called 10-10-10 with this guy, Tom Higley, who's kind of a rock star of entrepreneurship in Denver. A lot of other entrepreneurs know of him and stuff. And he was doing this uh, kind of nonprofit, but had a profit scheme to it where he took entrepreneurs that had been really successful in the past and brought them together. And he wanted to solve 10 wicked problems over 10 days with 10 entrepreneurs. And this was the first time it had ever been done. So I was in charge of, I was like his marketing director for this. And it was so cool because I got the opportunity to really just get into like fabric of the Denver entrepreneurial community. Well, through that and a lot of other entrepreneurship, I ended up, uh, not entrepreneurship, but kind of talking to other entrepreneurs. I met with these two guys, one guy in particular, Ted Guggenheim, who had a company called Textus. And they had another startup within their kind of tiny little startup called the iPad receptionist. It's something that they had started mostly at the encouragement of another uh, venture capitalist, Brad Feld, also well known in the, uh, and known well in the VC community and, and definitely known in the Denver environment as well. And they created an iPad application so people could check in and they would be notified when somebody came into the office. And Brad was like, I just, you know, I don't need a receptionist. I just need like an iPad to do this work for me. And they went and did that. And then Brad said, hey, it looks pretty good. Why don't you just take it out and make it into a business? So I met them and I reportedly was going to be going in to help them and maybe consult with them. But it was clear they had no money. And so what they ended up saying, or I ended up saying was, why don't I buy the iPad receptionist from you? And they said, that would be awesome because we want to work on our core business called Textus. And so after I finished my stint with 101010, 10, 10, I ended up closing the deal to buy the iPad receptionist. 
which we then had to rebrand the receptionist because iPad is a trademark of Apple's and they don't like it when you put it in your name. <laughs> so we had to take it out of the name. Good to know. Yeah, exactly. That's how we came to the receptionist. When you asked me what gets me excited, I took over this company. It was tiny. It was only installed in maybe like, I think it was 170 locations. We're now up over 5,000 locations. It was just kind of like this embryo of a startup that had a, a minimum viable product that needed to be added on to and actually bolstered and grown over time. But what I think that gets me so excited is the fact that we started on a journey. And when I bought that company, I was saying, I am going to go out and I'm going to get tens of millions of dollars of venture capital, and I'm going to really blow this thing up and make it into a huge enterprise. And I hired on some people. I, I brought on some people. I brought on my co-founder, Delenn Barrier, Director of Engineering. And I brought, I ended up bringing on a lot of people as we were growing the company and stuff. I remember I was actually meeting with my brother, Stuart, who was a venture capitalist. And he said, you know, I look at this business. This business throws off a lot of cash. I don't think you actually need to grow this business through venture. You can probably just grow it bootstrapped. I was like, wow, almost. And that was a pivotal moment for me because it meant I felt as though I didn't have to follow in his shoes or in my other brother's shoes and do the whole venture capital route. I had taken on venture capital previously. I had seen what it does to the decision making. And that was really pivotal for me. And so we continued forward. We were a typical kind of startup where things can get a little chaotic. It's really hard to make decisions. You don't know who to hire. Some people aren't working out. You know, when some an employee comes to you and says, I think we need to do something about this, that you say, oh, great, I'm going to do something about that. That sounds like a great idea. And I write it down on a piece of paper. Months go by and the employee said, what happened to that? Oh, I completely forgot about it. So what we didn't have at that time was a structure for being able to run the company. So in 2018, through a lot of work with our leadership team, we adopted Traction, which I don't know if you know it, but it's uh, um, based on a book by a guy named uh, Gino Whitman, The Entrepreneurial Operating System. And the book is actually called Traction, Getting a Grip on Your Business. And it gives you this methodology for how to run your business. And the very first thing it talks about that you have to do is you have to figure out your core values. And prior to that, I was like, core values, more values. You know, that stuff is a bunch of stuff people put on walls and things. And he makes a really good argument that what you need to do is to be able to determine what your core values are, because if you don't have your core values, you don't know who to hire. You don't know who to retain. You don't know who to let go if you have to let go. And it was sort of a, a dawning for me that we created these core values and then adopted the rest of, of traction. There's something called a virtual traction organizer. I highly recommend it for anybody who's listening to this. I've gone through so many startups that have just been chaos. Once we truly adopted traction and lived traction, everything became much easier. Going back to that earlier example, when an employee now comes to us and says, we need to work on this, there's a process for how you actually elevate things to a leadership level or to the level it needs to be, and then cascade it back down again so you can say, this is what we actually decided about it. So now employees are sitting around saying, I told you about this months ago, what happened? They're actually getting the answer to their question and what the resolution to it is, whether it might be, we're not going to do it right now, 
or we are going to do it in the future, or we're going to, whatever the dis disposition of it is. All of that was critical for us. And I know I'm taking a long time on this, but the next step we had was, it was only about 10 months ago, I had watched a video by Inc.com with Simon Sinek about his book, The Infinite Game. And The Infinite Game is all about determining what is your why. And then and he has um, some famous videos about how you determine your why. But then he goes on to talk about your just cause. And your just cause is kind of founded by your why. What is pulling you from behind? What are your experiences and your, your background that have changed you and made you into the person you are? And then what are your experiences as a company that make you the company that you are? And then there's your just cause, which says, where well, are you going to take that why and how are you going to go forward with it? We talked about the fact that our core values were really important. And what we ended up realizing through our whole leadership team and the people, this collection of amazing people I've brought together is that our why, I can even you know read to you our why. This is something that took us a while to come to, but it's to build a company that operates with compassion, lives with integrity, and fosters strong human connections. So the human part of it was so important to us. That's what we got from our core values. We ended up discovering what our, our just cause is. And this is something that I'm passionate about, the leadership team is passionate about, the employees are passionate about. To build a world where a company's profits fuel the mission to be in service to its employees and the community. And I just read it again because it's to build a world, right? It doesn't mean to build the receptionist or to build Denver or to build whatever. It's to build a world where a company's profits fuel the mission to be in service to its employees and the community. That has led me to something else that has become really important. It's, I'm going on a lot of podcasts about it. And that's something which is the difference between shareholder supremacy and employee supremacy. Now, when I listened to that video of Simon Sinek, he talked about shareholder supremacy. And I went and I dug in a little bit further about it. It was a theory brought up by Milton Friedman in the 60s and 70s. And it basically says corporations have no higher purpose than maximizing the profits for their shareholders. So it's all about the shareholders. Every single company out there is pretty much run this way. They are doing every decision that the leaders make in the organization are to maximize profits for the shareholders. And what that does is it actually leads to some very kind of grotesque decision making at times. So for instance, let's say that the company leaders, you are trying to determine what should our benefits be for our employees? Well, what ends up happening is if you are thinking about maximizing the shareholder profit, you are saying they can only be as much as we need to be able to bring employees on and retain them. So I have something else that I've been talking about, which is employee supremacy. The idea here is rather than focusing on the investors, you focus on the employees and you do what's in the interest of the employees. And let's say for that benefits example, you're not necessarily saying we need them to be the lowest amount they can be. We want the benefits for our employees to be that which makes them feel rewarded makes them feel trusted and makes them feel secure going forward. And why would you want your employees to feel that way? Well, who are the people that do the work every single day in a company? It's the employees. I'm not right now answering chats or making phone calls to customers for support or receiving those calls or out there um, selling the product. That's my team doing that. Well, what makes a company more valuable than when you have a trusting team believes in the company and then is going to do, make decisions 
that are in the best interest of the company because the employees recognize the company is doing everything that is in their best interest, not just in the shareholders. The result of it is that shareholder value goes up because what you're doing is investing in the people who are doing the work, not just focusing on the people who invest in the company. And I'm not saying investors are not important. I own well over 50% of my company. I am the biggest shareholder, but I believe shareholder value in my company is going to grow faster because we are focusing on the employees, not focusing on my my wealth and what I'm going to get out of it. So I know that was an ex- extremely long description about what, what I get excited about, but you might be able to hear from my voice. This is what I'm really excited about. That was awesome. It's a great foundational story of, of where you are, you know, and I think it's great that you're in a position that you can do that. And then I think it's really awesome that you're getting out there and spreading the message because it's not just about the reception. So I would like to tie that back in, but you're looking at business just differently and you're being an evangelist for the long-term view, right? Because you're saying, if we build the right foundation, the value is going to be significantly more. And the foundation starts with our employee. It does make sense. When you think about shareholder value, it's measured like today. What's going to make the most sense today? Not tomorrow, right? Like I have to answer the question today, like what's our value, right? Lower cost, higher revenue. And every company can probably do that in spurts, both of them at the same time. And then it all falls apart. And I think what you're saying is that like, hey, look, we're going to take a long-term view. And it's very similar. And and I don't know all of this. It's been a while since I've looked at it, but like a B Corp, certified B Corp, similar concept there, right? Am I? Yeah, that's funny you say that because some part of the traction model is that you do quarterly rocks. And uh, one of the quarterly rocks for um, Sarah Reimer, who is our director of people operations, she comes from a sustainability background. So she went to the B Corp certification because they have a lot of the things around, you know, sustainability, environmental impact, global warming, all those kind of things are part of their assessment. And she came back to me and said, you know, a lot of the stuff they're asking in B Corp is a lot of the stuff we're doing, which is being socially responsible. You made a key point, which is if you focus on today or maybe even only the 90 day cycle, you're going to make very short term decisions. And then what happens is, let's say, for instance, you don't make quarterly numbers. What do you do? You say, what is our biggest expense? It's employees. Up, oh, better get rid of some of our employees. And what does that do for trusting teams when the person sitting next to you, well, now virtually, is now fired because the company didn't make its numbers? Are you really going to feel like, wow, this is a great place to work and I feel really strongly about it? Now you're looking long-term. And this is what Simon Sinek talks about. It's about the long game. And so B Corp is definitely about the long game. And what I think is employee supremacy over shareholder supremacy is about the long game. Let's tie it back to the reception, right? I'd like to hear how this all works, right? In, in reality, it makes so much sense, right? And I think that if you have the wherewithal and the foundation, you start your company, right? Like you can take it down that road versus like trying to take over a company that's got investors that are like, look, this is what I want. This is my way or the highway type of thing. But how is the receptionist doing? How is that all tying together? Give us some specs there. There is some great stuff that's happened as a result of this. And, and just know, we only come up with this just cause in like April. But what had been happening was we were operating the company, but did not recognize, we didn't have a name for it, but we had been operating the company the same way. So when the pandemic hit in March, a lot of our competitors, they were almost every one of our competitors is venture back. Almost every one of them had to reduce headcount. We didn't have to reduce headcount. We didn't have to reduce salaries. We actually hired people through the pandemic. We increased benefits. We implemented a program because we have a lot of younger people within the company who had moved to Denver from other parts of the country. We instituted something called the COVID family travel plan 
which is if you want to go back and be with your family or go see your family because now you're isolated and you can't just get on a plane like you used to, we'll rent you a car, we'll rent you a hotel on the way so you get there. And we had almost every employee use that program so they could just go back. And they just all came back and just stayed glowing. Like I saw my family and it felt so good during this really challenging, difficult time to be there with them. And each one of them just said thank you to the company. What I love about this is that we've created an environment where I don't have to manage. You can almost ask, or you can ask almost any CEO or entrepreneur, and that what are the most difficult challenges you have managing personnel issues? It happens all the time. And I hard, hardly have any personal issues. There are some, I'm not going to say we don't have any, but I would say on the spectrum of things, we are way lower and we don't have to say, okay, when you get on a support chat, I want you to respond this way, then respond this way, then say this. We actually, we live under our core values, which are fabric, fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. And so what happens is our employees are showing their full personality with customers. And we get all of these comments of like, this is the best company I've ever worked with. And we're making authentic decisions so that let's say that a customer needs a, a refund, that something happened. It's terrible right now. Customers are saying, we've closed our office. We say we have an annual fee and you signed up for an annual fee and they come to us. We say, okay, we'll go ahead and refund that amount. We're not like one of those slimy companies saying, hey, shareholder supremacy, the investors need to get as much of this cash as possible. Don't give them any money back. And they go away. The customers go away first saying, I had a great experience with your employee. And you treated me right. What do they do? They go on to tell other people about our company and how great we are to work with. So it's kind of this like self-sustaining cycle that goes on. And I, as I said, I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking, you know, having to say, okay, I got to get together with my director of sales because we've got that issue in the sales department where these two people don't like each other and they're doing, none of that happens. We're just a team of people and, and they know that the company is there for them. I'm going to take a little bit of a, a side trip here to hopefully make some of this conversation a little bit more timeless. When you talk about employees being able to go back home or be with their family. In years, COVID impact will probably dull, but I hope that this podcast stays out there forever. It was a really scary time. We go back a year and a half ago and we all thought the world might be ending, right? Everybody was sent home and there's a lot of single people just sitting at home by themselves. Can't go out, can't go to the store, can't socialize. Like you're seeing people on Zoom and even in the beginning of time, when Zoom wasn't that, everybody was doing it yet. It was really hard for a lot of people. I just wanted to highlight the benefit, I guess the thought that you put there was not just this nice little perk from a mental health and like sanity of people. Because at that point in time, people didn't know if the world was coming back. We're not out of the woods yet. It feels like we're coming on the tail end of this thing. We're coming to a new normal. I applaud you for the foresight there. And I think I just wanted to make sure that everybody really appreciates kind of in perpetuity, how scary and how alone a lot of people were. That had to have been so impactful. It was. And I think if you take it back to this idea of shareholder versus employee supremacy, right? Shareholder supremacy, you're sitting around a, a boardroom and the whole leadership team's like, well, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to the shareholders. Therefore, we're not going to offer this program. They're just going to have to figure out how to get back to their families on their own. Under employee supremacy, you're sitting there going saying, no, this is an investment I want to make because I know these are the people that are in front of our customers every day. 
and they have to work with each other. And so you can just kind of see the change in thinking can be. And, you know, you talked about companies that already have investors. There are investors out there who will invest on nothing but companies that have implemented traction in EOS. I would love to see this where sort of the uh, more forward thinking investors realize this is a better way to grow shareholder value. And they say, we will only invest in companies that believe in employee supremacy. And I, I've said this before is that I'm a capitalist. I own 60, 70% of this company. I want that value to go up. In the end, I'm a capitalist. I want to see the shareholder value grow. But I don't want to do it by being kind of icky and saying, oh, we're not, maybe I'm taking giant bonuses in the background and the employees don't know about it and I can't be authentic with them and tell them what's going on or have kind of an open, authentic discussion with them. To me, that doesn't work. And that's, that's all that background that I was talking about is the early days and having these brothers really successful and this venture capitalist brother and everything else. All of that is what got me to the point of realizing this is the way to, the way to do it. And so the COVID family tra travel program was like a no brainer. It wasn't even something we spent more than two seconds talking about whether we would do this. We were like, we're doing this. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to let the listeners in on a little secret. You can thank me later, but ESG, so that's environmental, social, and governmental investing, impact investing, that's real. It's coming. It's not a fad. And investors are starting to take a, a long view on their investment, right? It's not necessarily, hey, what's the best return we can get? It's all financial. I mean, they're literally talking about, is this investment going to be underwater? I mean, sea rise type stuff or without water drought type stuff, you know, are employees and talent going to be there in the future? Those are all really coming into play. And then I think that money, smart money, big money, it's clouded right now because there's so much happening in the marketplace. It's happening. I'm, I want to tell you it's happening, but it's hard to see because there's so much activity and every, the markets are just crazy. But the big and the smart money is looking at that and they're making plays and investments and strategies around environmental, social and governmental policy. And it's exactly what you're talking about. And I think that you you got there kind of ahead of like the curve, but smart money is looking at it. That's my little secret tip of the day <laughs> is that this is not, it's not a hyperbole here. I, and I agree with that. And that's a good point. And I'm glad you reminded me of that because I think every time I've done one of these podcasts, I've had these conversations and actually become a little bit more aware of other things going on. And I think that is an excellent example because that's the place where something like this can start. Because in the end, you know, a lot of those companies that have maybe double bottom lines where they might have a social impact and also uh, one of profit still have that shareholder, you know, supremacy mentality. But if maybe if you could change it, that's the way you can make it an effective double bottom line company because you're, you're getting the shareholder value by focusing on the employees rather than on the shareholders, and then also having the social impact as well, or the environmental impact or the governmental impact, you said. Yeah, I love that. In the great resignation, right? So I guess making this timeless again, we're in the middle of the great resignation where employees are now voting with their feet more so than ever before. It's not really optional. You have to take care of your people because they can go somewhere else. And they're, again, this goes back to where's the smart money going? The smart money knows that the companies that are figuring this out now are going to get all of the talent. That is the reality, right? It is a long game 
for the big money and secret hint, Andy, you're ahead of the curve. So congratulations to you, but this is the future and this short-term mentality is going to go away quickly. I didn't even mention that. And that's so great that you brought that up. That's one of the points I say is that if you have an employee supremacy model, you're always going to get the best employees. We're at the point now that I'm, I'm talking about it. It's getting out a little more and employees are coming or applicants are coming saying, I heard these podcasts. We want to work for the company because who wouldn't want to work for the company that isn't focused on the shareholders, but is focused on the employees who are doing all the work in you end up getting some of the best employees, which gives you a, a greater competitive advantage in the marketplace. And so you're right about that. That's excellent. The other thing, too, is that I've always been worried that some people will say this is some sort of socialist movement, you know, that, oh, we're just doing it so that the employees can say kumbaya and I love the company and everything. And I, I've said it before. I'm a capitalist. It's not about capitalism. Sorry, it's not about a socialist movement. It's about a capitalistic movement. It's how you grow shareholder value but you do it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, a good analogy. would be like, if you're a farmer, you can hope that it rains because that's the cheapest way to, you know, to water your plants. Or you can install irrigation, right? And then still, or you can fertilize too. And all of those things cost money, but the big farmers are doing all of those. Things. It's the same thing with your people. Is it like, if you take care of them, you nourish them, you get them there and it's not all about money, right? Is it flexibility? Is it benefits? The crazy thing is you got executives that make millions and millions of dollars, but the thing that changes their mind about working for a company is whether all of the benefits are paid, like their health insurance. Like they don't have to come out of the pocket. Like that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Cause like they could be walking away from hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they're like, oh man, this benefit plan is something else. That's not necessarily a great analogy here, but it's not all about money. It's about taking care of the individual. And then I think what you're saying to you reminds me a lot of the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss when he talks about empowering people and just be like, just figure it out, right? Here's some general guidelines. And then he started small. Then he was like, well, you know what? Like, let's see what happens if we give people more power and more power, and more power. And all of a sudden he's like, man, customers were happier. Returns are way down, you know, like costs were way down. And here I was worried that people were just going to be giving away the farm. And like, that's not what happened at all. Like we have happier customers, happier employees, and it's people are empowered to make the decisions on their own and know that we support them. And it's exactly what you're talking about. That is exactly what I'm talking about. And I hear about the decisions that our employees are making or the actions they take. And I'm just dripping with pride. I didn't ask them to do that. I'll give you an example. Alex Latham who's one of our um, developers, he just finished our Teams integration so that our check, our you know visitor management system now will integrate with Teams so that people can get uh, notifications on Teams when, when a visitor comes to you know meet with them or whatever. He worked tirelessly on getting this, this integration to work. And then nobody told him to do this, but he went out and went to every individual in the sales team and every individual in the marketing team and went through exactly how the team's integration worked, what the value of it was and everything so that every one of them knew. Nobody told him to do that. That is just part of when you create that kind of culture where you don't feel like you have to go ask, is it okay if I go and talk to everybody? No, just do it. You know that's the best thing for the company. That's in the best interest of the company. Go do it. And you just get that kind of outcome. And we get that type of outcome all the time. Or that's not really my job. You know, like nobody asked me to do that. So like, I'm not going to do it. Exactly. And I think when you have people saying like, this is me, this represents me here. And this is my role. You know, it's like a, the analogy of a football team. Everybody's got to play their part or you're going to lose. When you know what your part is, and then you just take 100% ownership of it. You know, the, the rewards and the outcomes are amazing for not only you, but for everybody else. You got to create a culture where that happens naturally. 
That's true. That's why I think that journey of, you know, it was chaotic in the beginning. Then we adopted traction. Then we started to figure out what our why was. And then we put this in place. You know, a lot of people have said, what would you recommend other companies do or other startups do? And I always say, implement traction. I think it's something that has completely transformed our company, got us focusing on our core values, figuring out who are the right people to be in the company. There's a methodology called right person, right seat that is part of that. And then once you do that, go go and work on the infinite game, which is first figure out what is your why. And then second is figure out what your just cause is. And that's where you can get to implementing something like employee supremacy. Well, I know you wanted to give something out to the listeners here. Yeah, I did. So this is from the marketing team. They did this similarly. They did this on their own, but they came to me and said, Hey, Andy, when you're on the, on the Wiley podcast, can you please mention the receptionist.com slash Wiley? Again, that's the receptionist.com slash Wiley. And you can get a $25 Amazon gift card for starting a free trial with our company. That's all you have to do. Start a free trial and we send you a $25 gift card. It's not a entry into like a drawing or something, you actually get a $25 gift card. And, and what you're telling me too, if I remember from earlier parts of the conversations, you're not signing me up for a three-year commitment or anything. Nope, nope, nope. All it's signing up for is just try it out. Try it out and get $25. Okay. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And I should say well, what our system does is a visitor management system that runs on an iPad. You can completely configure it when somebody walks into an office and they type in uh, Jake it will actually send you a text message saying that Andy's here to meet you. And then you can go down to the lobby and, and meet them. So uh, that's what our software does. In addition to badge printing and all these other things that you might need in your office for reception type work. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I like to close out the show with a little bit of gratitude. And I think that you'll appreciate this. None of us got to where we are on our own. And what I want to do is I want to share, I guess, from you, who would you give a shout out to that helped give you a leg up along the way? Yeah, and I think I'm going to go with three people on this one. First one is going to be my oldest brother, Joe. You know, just having somebody in that place who starts a company and takes it public and just watching it blossom. I had so much, such strong feelings about seeing that happen. He's also been with me throughout almost all of my startups. Similarly with my brother, Stuart, he was a, a strong, has always been a strong influence. If anybody knows Stuart, he is an outspoken individual. He doesn't have any trouble sharing his opinions or thoughts. And he's always done that with me and I've always appreciated it. And the third person that I, I want to give a shout out to is uh, my director of engineering, uh, my co-founder, Delenn Berry. We always call him the question asker. He never says, you should do this. He always puts everything in the form of the question. He was the one when I was sitting there back in like 2015 and I'm talking to him and the rest of our leadership team. And I'm like, we have to grow. And he looked at me, he said, why? And I had this blank stare. I had no idea because I didn't want to just say because we need to all get rich or because we need to get big. That question started me on the journey to figure out now why we have to grow. We have to grow this company because we have to show the world this is the way to run a company. So, And now I have a real purpose that's more than just, oh, yeah, I want to get rich. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I hope they hope they listen. Well, Andy, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate having you on. Well, I appreciate it, Jay. Thank you very much for having me on. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now, the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the Limited Partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together 
Learn about what best in class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.